don't have to like everything we say. You don't have to listen to us. Well, as we all know, because I've talked about this before, The Gray Man Adventure definitely is not what I thought it was going to be or started out to be, but I do have questions. Uh, some of them are following along the lines of what I call prepping, camping, and survival type questions. I picked a few out that I think are ones that are probably hard to find a better answer at or, you know, find a really solid answer like they're dabbled in, like when I, I'm going to talk about Fatwood, for example. You'll leave with a really good understanding of that, for example, whereas other places are like, yeah, you just need that one. But these are some good questions I think will help you out. So for those of you out there that are into prepping or camping, you want to start doing that, uh, you know, a little bit about survival, a few ba- some real basic things that a lot of people don't think about that I think will help you out. I've got enough feedback and stuff like this in the past. That's why I'm doing it again. So I hope you enjoy it. Definitely, definitely hit me up with your tips and tricks because that's kind of what a lot of this is. So let's go right here on Gray Man, hiding in plain sight. Well, this should be fun. So the question is... I've been doing a lot of reading and research and trying to understand what fatwood is and what it is not. Watched a lot of videos and I still have a lot of questions and don't understand where it comes from or is it or is it only from pine trees? Do you know anything about this? Please help me out. You seem to make things pretty simple. Yes, I do. In fact, oh, if I had internet, I could I could get you this. There's a documentary I watched. I think it was on Disney. It was like a nature thing and nothing to do with the subject, but they actually do a really good explanation of the beginnings of fatwood based on, I think, but by definition, it's a symbiotic relationship within the soil that scientists have only discovered or I guess, I guess was certainly clarified in the last year or two. But here's, here's what's really happening. And uh, some people call sap the blood of a tree. I don't know if that's entirely fair. So sap or pitch, the sticky stuff in trees. So all trees have some form of it, at least to my knowledge, all trees do. There might be a plant out there called a tree. I don't realize a tree doesn't have it, but I'm pretty sure they all have it to some degree. Some have a lot more of it, especially your softer words tend to seem to have a lot more of it. Like pine's great, but I think fir's better and cedar's better myself. doesn't matter. So here's what happens. One of the things the tree needs to survive is minerals from the soil, minerals it cannot absorb itself. There's a fungus in the soil. It's a white structure that almost looks kind of like a type of uh, spider web thingy that some people, when they see it in wood, because it actually can get up in the tree in the wood, they think it's actually partially the sap and it's not. 
you'll have to you look up pictures you can find out what this fungus is you can see pictures of it so the fungus needs sugar to survive and it gets sugar from the sap of the tree so what it does is they just trade off fungus gives tree minerals minerals gives tree sugar that sugar helps the fungus survive and grow in order to gain more minerals and it actually is a it does a couple things one it helps because the fungus isn't like a little thing like it's an inner it's like a network it's like the internet of your brain under the soil it's connected to many many trees and so it actually helps with all the other trees and it's also considered a communication network that's one of the new things they figured out so what happens is when a tree senses its death now it probably starts this process if a chainsaw cuts it down but that's way too fast when it senses its death it isn't fast so you're talking like it's just old gonna die there could be enough erosion and root exposure when it gets exposed to the elements it knows it's going to die there could be enough smoke in the air or heat from nearby fire that it knows it's going to die or at least thinks in these situations thinks it's going to die infestation from bugs for example it's like yeah i'm probably going to die and there's several other options when this happens what the tree does is it pushes as much sugar through the sap into the soils it can in order to feed the fungus to let all the other trees know danger is coming this is scientifically proven but also to make the um, fungus healthier so that it can help the surviving trees grow stronger to recover because it knows it's probably going to die and it's not going to it's not going to get sugar back to you know grow up to be a big strong oak tree or whatever it is so that's that's the relationship why is this important well simple gravity the sap moves down in the ground to the roots so where the saps tends to be the thickest in the trees or the highest concentration is near the trunks and in the roots especially down in the roots and then also what i call the knots or the armpits basically where the limbs come into the trunk of the tree so it's still true on a smaller tree even a really tiny size of a christmas tree it's just a lot more noticeable if you're on a big tree where the actual tree limbs are say six inches eight inches thick like a monster tree it'd be a lot more noticeable so those are the main areas where it collects so now imagine that it's choosing to dump all this stuff in the soil, it's gonna be thicker there. Now, one of the ways you see this is, uh, I learn more and more as I spend my time camping. When I go to places people have been, I learn that people are assholes and they're fucking with the trees. So when you go to campgrounds, you'll see trees everywhere that'll have tons of sap. And I don't mean like the hard crystalline stuff that looks like amber that you can use. It'll have stuff that looks like pink foamy shit because of what campers do and what do they do they're driving nails in the trees and tent stakes in the trees putting screws in the trees they're hacking them up carving stuff off just being general assholes doing things they don't need to do and these trees over are starting to panic and so there's campgrounds i've gone to now where it's just as bad as it was a year ago they're just dumping sap in the soil and creating it constantly thinking they they believe that tree believes it's dying although it's actually really strong and nothing more is happening to it it believes it's it's in peril because of the damage people have done to it. So you can see in these cases, all that stuff coming out. So the sap isn't coming out because you've cut it. This is why I say it's not like, I don't compare it to blood. If we cut you, you're going to bleed. It's not just that. You, you bleed because there's an opening there. What this thing is doing, there's a natural process for it to put that into the soil. That stuff's coming out because so much of it is being pushed down to try and feed the fungus to warn the other trees and to keep them healthy so you get these high concentrations of this sap and sap is extremely flammable so skipping over a little part we'll come back to this especially in places where you have rivers where they go up and down a lot with the seasons and 
like where I was in Idaho, for example, this happens in many places. You get snow, snow melt, right? The snow melt run off, the rivers get higher, and they start washing wood downstream. You'll see oddly shaped, when it's time to go pick up wood, you'll see oddly shaped paces that you may not realize is like, oh, that's a completely weird oddly shaped piece. That's not erosion. That's a tree root. That's one probably worth taking. And what you'll find is even if it's, it's just happened and the wood is just showing up, you'll grab said tree root of whatever size and it'll feel, of course, wet because it's in or by the water and it'll feel really heavy. And your thought's going to be, it's full of fucking water. What I would say is grab a similar piece of wood size, the closer you can around there and pick it up and see if it feels about the same. Because if it feels lighter, the reason that one piece is heavier isn't because it sucked up more water, it's probably fat wood because it's physically heavier because the sap's in there. One of the things to note too, and just picking up wood in general by a stream that feels wet, even if it gets rained on, you might think it's soaked. You just take that piece of wood and hit a rock with it, a decent sized rock. Like it'll have a dull, dense kind of thud and almost squishiness to it when it hits probably, when it totally is actually soaked and worthless. But if it actually has kind of a hollow sound, a bit of a like a hollow knock on wood type sound that you would think, it's just the outside that wet, the inside's dry. So if you do that with that piece of say root, for example, or something that feels heavy and you get that kind of sound, you're like, I think this is actually dry inside, but this is heavy as fuck. It's because it's probably fat wood because it's densely collected amounts of that sap. So how do we check this? When you cut into it, there's a few things we'll notice. Now this depends on the concentration. So at its lowest levels of concentration, like let's say it's a pine tree or a fir tree, those are very noticeable spells. Firs often confused with pine. You'll smell the tree. Like, you know, when you have an air freshener and it says it's pine tree, for example, or spruce, right? Well, that's the thing that the trees typically rarely smell like that. Rarely, if ever. And you cut one down or you get a piece of one and you know this is spruce, or you know it's pine, you know it's fir, and you go to smell it. A lot of times they don't have the smell. If the, the fresh needles are still on it and green, those might have the smell. But if you cut all those off and you just grab that branch, we'll say, chunk of wood or piece of root, it doesn't really smell like that. But if you cut it open and it actually does smell like that, that's because a lot of that smell comes from the sap. And that's your first sign that that's piece of fat wood. Probably low density, not high concentration, but it's probably just definitely fat wood. Higher concentration fat wood, what'll happen is that smell will start to switch from the tree smell and start to smell like turpentine. And if it smells like really intense turpentine, that's a, that's a good piece. And the stronger that turpentine smell is, you'll notice that the inside of the wood looks different. So for example, um, pine, most pines are a whitish color or mostly a whitish color, whereas a fir tree has a little bit of redness to it. A cedar has a little bit more red. They'll look a lot more intense of those colors or darker. So pine will actually start to look orange, yellowish and even orange and even a dense orange you almost might think is red when it's highly concentrated. And it'll, it'll look kind of waxy, like somebody waxed it, like a waxed apple in the produce section. And the cedar and the fir will have a lot more redness to them. And I've even seen cedar and some other similar type trees that'll actually have red, dark red, even almost a, something that could be confused for purple in the right light. And so these pieces are heavy for their size. They, these are the ones I'm using are softwoods. Any wood can really have this, but it's easier to find in a softwood. So you got a softwood, something you can typically take your fingernail with and make impressions in. And this thing feels really hard. It smells like turpentine. 
and it's got these really strong dense colors that's when it's high concentration so that's fatwood so it burns longer and lights quicker or easier so what i what i do because i have i have so much of this shit i give it away i find it all the time once you know how to find it it's you realize it's everywhere so the higher concentration pieces i make little fire starting kits i give to people in like altoid tens where i make basically some toothpick sizes and some shavings these things will those ones that are high concentration ferro rod strike they're they're going and even in wet weather they're outstanding those are those are god's fire starter essentially that's the natural best fire starter like tender you can have is having that that's the stuff where you take a few pieces of that and put it in some like bird nest whatever you make and that's going to get it going and you'll notice no matter what size you use like literally if you take it's hard to take a toothpick light it and watch it burn so let's say you have some of this and you cut it down to toothpick size high concentration and you have an actual toothpick and you have a fire going with some hot coals there throw that toothpick in there and start counting and see how long it takes to start burning and then how long it actually burns for until it collapses to nothing then throw in the fatwood piece and everything will take longer and it'll be noticeable and actually the bigger the pieces are in comparison the longer the fatwood seems to burn because it just you know a thicker piece of wood is going to burn longer than a thinner one but it's like exponential when it's when it's fatwood and then when you're burning it you'll realize a couple of things one you might mistake it for plastic because it kind of stinks if it's a bigger piece and it will burn black like plastic it'll have a black a bit of smoke coming out. So this is important because in a survival situation, it's good to find fatwood to help you start the fire. It's good like if you have a good warming fire, but you only need to put a little bit of wood to keep going. Um, a, you know, a decent chunk of fatwood that's say, I don't know, an inch square, four or five inches long, like light right up and burn for a quite a bit of time and, and keep it going. And once you have a piece like that or bigger, when you think people around, you want to signal um, that black smoke could be a good thing. You know, white smoke's a good thing too, but I mean, that's the other thing. People don't understand smoke. Smoke happens when there's not enough heat, right? People say, well, think smoke because they're green or because they're wet. Well, that's true, but it's because there's not enough heat. If the fire's hot enough, there won't be smoke. This is why I like those solo stoves and smokeless fire pits. That's the process that they work. The airflow works properly to keep the heat in there and to increase the heat value which makes that smoke burn up. That's why when you see them and they just throw a ton of shit in there and the smoke just swirls and swirls and swirls and stay in there, but it never comes out. It's because it's actually burning up in the heat. So right times a year, yeah, you got a good fire going. You can throw some green boughs on there or something. You get white smoke going. People see you, you get saved. But there might be a time of year when there isn't green boughs or you don't want to be too near uh, flammable stuff because of a forest fire. You're in a place like the desert where you don't have a lot of that stuff. And maybe it makes sense to say, oh, I don't think I can get the white smoke too much, but you know what I can do? I can burn fatwood, I can get some black smoke, and I can get the smell, and it's blowing their direction, and they might find me. And in a survival situation, remember I compared this to plastic. In a survival situation, in that situation, you want to use a plastic bottle. It's going to burn for a while, it's going to burn hot, it'll help your fire start, it's going to burn black, it's going to stink, that might help you get found. So that's kind of... The the idea to firewood and then, or to sorry not firewood to fatwood and then you just go looking for it and finding those pieces and and seeing the colors and what they are i have a bag a fire starting bag i show people of kits and things i make i can it would start thousands of fires i carry big chunks of this stuff as i start finding it now let's say you find a pretty good sized log like i found and you have these huge chunks of fatwood that are you know say it's a Say it's a six by 10 inch roughly log about a foot long and it's real, real heavy. 
over time, over a matter of months, no matter how you store that thing, it'll, it'll get a little bit lighter. It'll actually, you can, when you look at the grains, you can see it seems like there's less and less of what you would call fatwood. I'm not sure what the scientific process is in there. I compare it probably to evaporation, but when I've cut those open, I've realized that I have to go a little farther in the wood to get the highest concentration. So it's, it's dissipating in some way. But the thing is, those pieces that once were a high concentration that now aren't super waxy, they don't weigh a lot, they don't smell like turpentine, but they smell like the wood, they still, when they're burning, are burning just as effectively as a thicker piece. They still burn very long, they still burn very hot, they still burn very easily, and they still burn black, black smoke. Uh, the, the thicker density ones are going to burn a lot hotter and have a lot more black smoke. And you also find things, too, where they like, it seems like they don't move, like they barely crumble and fall apart until the whole thing's done. It's, it's kind of cool to watch. But anyway, that's, uh, that's the whole story behind Fatwood. You should be able to take some of these descriptions and just start looking for it. Things like stumps, even if you find stumps where trees are cut down and there's, you know, a foot of stump, foot and a half of stump, and it's starting to rot or isn't quite rot, you can bring those apart, you know, sledgehammer, hammer your boots or whatever, and start to find solid pieces in there, pull them out, see if they smell. A lot of people think it's just because it's wet or starting to rot. It smells like the tree, and it's, no, they're smelling fatwood. You know, you start grabbing some... Uh, wood by the edge of the river and you're just burning a fire and you throw a piece on there not thinking about it and you start seeing black smoke that's fat wood so if it's big enough and you want some fat wood pull that thing out of there and put it out <laughs> you know let it dry off and get the char off there and start chopping it up into usable pieces you know it, a lot of fire kits have fat wood a lot of survival kits they have fat wood it's so easy to find you'll realize why people sell it and that the prices they charge on amazon are a crime so, really long description, but hey, we've learned something today. Can't say you didn't learn nothing here. All right, the next one is, I know there's a lot of things to this. I am just starting to get into regular camping with a car and a tent, but I'm looking for some advice on things that would make my experience better. Can you tell me, say, three things? Maybe something that doesn't cost a lot of money or things we people don't typically think about that have a lot of uses, or if I... Wanted to prioritize money like you've talked about before. Where do you think I should prioritize that? So this is actually pretty easy. And the three things just kind of jump out at me. So in, when it comes to spending money, these, this is not the answer. This is an example I've, I've used before. I've talked about things like, you know, you sleep a third of your life. You want a good bed, good pillow, good sheets. You know, spend the money. You walk a lot, have good shoes that are comfortable, that are durable, that are going to last. You know, you want those things. What we don't appreciate about camping even people that have RVs, unless they just stay inside of them all the time, is that the campfire is the gathering place. People tend to sit around it. We cook marshmallows on it, drink beers around it, do whatever. And typically you see one item there that everybody has of different kinds. And it's something that no matter what our lifestyle typically is, we do more of it while we're camping. And that's sit on our ass. And what you need is a good camp chair. Now, sure, you can sit at the picnic table, but it depends on, you know, how big it is, how comfortable it is, what it's made out of, how far it is from the campfire. The camp chair is where you want to spend your money. I see people, I see people sometimes that go like $200,000 RVs and cool gear and awesome speaker systems and their clothing. Everything they have is like quality stuff. And then they got these shitty Walmart chairs. Walmart doesn't sell any good chairs. Just don't even look there. They're junk. And even if they feel comfortable, they don't last. I've tried several chairs from there where I've taken care of them, folded them up, 
didn't slide them around, picked them up and moved them, set them down, use them two, three, four, five times, and then they break. You know, they're like riveted together. Like if too many parts are riveted, don't buy it. You want parts that have good screws on them. You know, they should feel kind of heavy. They should be really good chairs. You like those comfy chairs, little kids and little girls and, you know, smaller women can lay in that are all poofy and warm. That's great. But a lot of those are shitty builds. So that's the thing is you want a good chair. So things to look for. One of the things that they have are gimmicky. I think they're gimmicky, sort of. Like they might have a table or the arm has the little thing you can put your beer can in or soda can or it's got the little baggie on the side. I would ignore all those. Most of the time they don't get used anyway. Even like, I'll tell you about the chairs I've had, but the chair I had the longest, I didn't put beer cans or any of those things. They, the fabric starts to wear out enough and get loose enough. You don't really want to put weight in there. I used them to put cigarette butts when I was smoking. That's what I use them for. So you want the chair to be comfortable. So one of the things is, is like shoes. You can go try shoeing all you want, but you need to walk around in it. That means if you go sit in a chair, a couple things are going to happen. One of two things. Number one, you're going to know pretty quickly that it's not the chair for you. If you feel that way pretty quickly, move on. Number two, whether you go, my God, this is it, or I don't know, you need to sit in it for a while. Move around a little bit. Pick it up, move it a couple feet, sit down again. Sit there and have a conversation, and then don't buy it. Come back to that store again on another day and try it out, unless you're in a hurry. Try it two or three different times to where you're sitting in there for at least 20, 30 minutes if you can. Read something, check something out, just to get a little experience in that chair like shoes to make sure, because you're going to spend money on these things. And then accept the fact that all the bags the chairs come in are crap and they suck and they're going to get ripped up and they're going to die off. And that's how you find your chair. The chair I had for the longest time was made by Alps Mountaineering called the Kong chair. It had a 600 pound weight limit. I had this because the girl I was dating at the time often liked to sit in my lap when we were camping. And a lot of chairs that have weight limits will go to like 300, but some of them that list them will be even in under 200 pounds. So, you know, I'm 6'4", and she was little, but I was like, I need to make sure I'm buying a chair that's not going to die on me. I bought this thing in 2015, and it was 75 or 85 bucks, and I got it on Christmas for like $49 on sale, and I felt so good about it. I had this chair until this year, this trip I'm on right now. There was about a year during COVID I didn't use it, but otherwise it was at my house, sitting outside all the time, and I used it. I went camping a lot. I, I mean, I put miles on this chair. I have months and months of use of the eight years I owned it, more than a year's worth of use, a couple years of use, like solid every day, several hours a day use. I dragged it around. I beat it up. I would just throw it in the back. I treated it probably worse than most people treat their chairs, and it put up with me. And then about two months ago, I'm sitting down, and part of... <laughs> The chair sat funny and I looked down and realized the way the legs are made, they're not one leg. There's like three bars that come down. It was like misplaced out of socket. And so I, I found the screw on the ground. I was like, all right, I'm going to figure out how to put this in, see if it's got all the pieces in there. And then I sat down again and did it on the other side. Anyway, in like five, 10 minutes of trying to sit down, I realized I had a missing screw, two screws that one screw fell out. One screw was half unscrewed, two screws that had sheared off a plastic piece. It was like the whole fucking thing died in 10 minutes. It was insane. The funny thing about that was before I went out this time, I was, I knew it's, I just felt like it's lifespan was coming and I thought I'm going to buy another one. I looked them up. They're like 150 bucks now. And I'm like, nope, I'm just going to start checking chairs out 
because if I find one I love, I'll just buy it, and this one will eventually die. So that fucking thing died. So I went to Cabela's, and I recommend you go to big sporting goods stores that have a lot of these things, Bass Pros, Cabela's, Sportsman's Warehouse, places like Dick's and Big Five seem to be a lot like Walmart to me. But And you can check Walmart out if, you, if you're on a budget, but just spend the money. One of the chairs I bought at Cabela's was a Cabela brand chair that they have a series of chairs that look very similar. This one sits a little lower to ground with a little more angle like an Adirondack, but not even close to that extreme. It was like 90 bucks. It was super comfortable. Love it. I'm going to buy some more of those chairs to have around. It's so comfortable for me as a taller guy, and a lot of my friends are taller. I need to have at least a second chair. But I'm telling you, <laughs> when you're camping the way you're describing, you've got to have the chair. And if you have an RV, I don't care if you have a half a million dollar RV, get a good chair, man. Come on. You need the good chair. Now, after that, I'm going to go the total opposite way with the most utility. It's going to cost you around five bucks. I suppose it could be more in a place like California. I got mine for $3, but it's the most useful thing I use when I camp that I use all the time. And it's like five bucks. So, and a lot of them are free, but you're going to want a new clean one. Don't, don't go recycled or prior use. And what that is, is the standard five gallon bucket. Now, a lot of things you can use this bucket for, you can buy other things for, which I, I have in one, one case, but the bucket is the cheapest, easiest get to me, that is a starter piece of gear for camping. I understand if you're a through hiker, backpacker, you're not going to carry a five gun milk. Totally got it. There are other things you can do. But even if I was in this RV or a bigger RV all the time, I'd have a bucket. Now, here's some things about your bucket. Number one, just going to and from, you can keep stuff in it, obviously, for cargo. What I use mine for is I have a few basic random items that don't look like they go together that are my go-tos I must have every time I set up camp. So I have a hammer in there with a couple of tent stakes that immediately go out when I put the awning up. I've got one of the citronella candles that look like a Coleman lantern with a bungee cord that I hang it from the awning. I've got my soap in there for the hand wash station. I put the towel, this cheap little towel on top. Those are off the top of my head, but there's like 8, 10, 12 things in there that are my go to, like my, I think my no radios in there that I use right away. And I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head, which I could look because it's like four feet away. And so that, that's what transports in there all the time. And then when I, when I go to leave, I pack those in there so that they're ready to go right away the next time I set up. So that's, that's one of the things you can do with it and just carry stuff. Another thing too is it, I think the only thing that is more painful to watch than people who don't know how to start a fire is people trying to pick up firewood and how they try to stay clean or don't know what they're doing or how far they'll walk to pick up so little. And I watch them. Five-gallon bucket carries a lot of that shit. It doesn't matter. I mean, I wouldn't be going putting huge logs in there, but the smaller pieces you need, the kindling size stuff, maybe a couple other decent size pieces, you can put a lot in there. A couple trips, you can have a lot a lot of good firewood going on, and you can use something else to carry the big stuff, but that, that's another good thing. And because of the fire, a lot of people don't put their fires out, or they put them out, think they put them out, and they don't really drown them. And when they say drown your fire, here's what I'm saying. If you start a fire and that thing's burning for a couple hours minimum and you put wood on it, to me it's no different than if burned for four days straight. People don't appreciate how hot the ground gets. Now, it's worse if there's a rock in there. But let me put it to you this way. You take that bucket, you go down and get your water source, usually because you buy a river or something. You're going to end up at best about four gallons of water in there. You drown that fire, and you actually start taking, like, your fire poker stick and start stabbing that dirt. You'll actually see the water start to boil. And you actually might see it turn to, like, a mud, almost hard clay on top, and it's because so much of that water steamed away. 
is because the ground's so hot. And the thing is, even after you do that, if you were to dig down there about 12 inches, you might go for a couple of inches, maybe even three inches in some parts where it's clay, but that clay is going to be hot. And the dry dirt underneath is so hot, it'll burn your skin. So you need that bucket so you can make a couple of trips, six to eight gallons, typically minimum. I tell people minimum of five, but probably more like eight to put that fire out. The other thing too about water is great is the bucket shower. The bucket shower is you put water in there out of a water source, typically say a lake or river, and this is really great when it's hot out too. But if it's cold, it's easy. You just heat up water over fire, which I've done. I've, I've taken the bucket, four gallons of water, we'll say, which I found out I really only need like two in cold weather. I'll use three in hot so I can get a little more hot water, but boil some water in a pot, throw it in the bucket. Of course, it'll cool off with the water. You just scoop more water out. You do it a few times and you're going to have hot water. And then you just don't put it on the ground. Put it on a, if you have a table or a bench, it's going to be nicer to use. Uh, the trick to the bucket shower though, there is a thing to the bucket shower. If let's say you use like a loofah or a wash rag, don't dip that in there ever, except for the first time when it's clean. I use an old dog bowl. You need something you can scoop water out, even if it's, say, just a Nalgene jug of something to hold water in, that you leave in there and pour water out to pour on yourself. And the things like the loofah that are now going to be covered in essentially dirty water and soap and stuff, when you start dipping that in there, you just make that water dirty and you're not really cleaning yourself off and it's going to start feeling gross. So take clean water out. Don't put dirty objects in, not until you're all done. And it's really great in the summer just pouring that water over you and cooling off. Why do I do that when I have a shower? Because especially when I found out with cold water or in cold weather, I have to have the type of water heater I have because it doesn't have, it's tankless. I have to have a constant flow of water at a certain rate in order to keep the water warm. And the speed at which it comes out is a lot higher than I want. And no matter how fast I go, I use like three and a half gallons of water for a shower, whereas I can heat water up and do the same thing with two gallons. And I can do it from a natural water source and not waste my filtered water. Whereas it doesn't matter in the in the warm weather. If it's really, really hot, I do the bucket shower because I can just dump tons of it on me. If it's just warmer, using the sprayer works great. Another thing you can do is you can wash clothes in it. And all you do is get the clothes in there. If you don't bring laundry soap, that's fine. If you need to wash something, just get some dishwashing soap in there. You know, you're probably not bringing super expensive stuff anyway that you're worried about damaging. And you're just working it in there, just trial and error, working it in there and getting the water really dirty, dumping it out, putting more water in, rinse it a couple of times. You do it a few times, you'll figure it out, but it's not hard to do. Also, your trash. You know, just throw your trash bag in there and make sure that once it starts to get full up, don't start pushing it down in there because it's not a real trash can. Pull the bag out. The purpose in using it for a trash can is to keep your bag in its shape until there's enough items in there. You don't have to worry about it blowing away or falling over so it's got shape and weight. Then you can put it, hang it, or put it in your car, whatever you're doing. Another thing you can use it for a toilet bucket um, before I go further, things like the cleaning yourself, this is why I'm saying just buy a new one for five bucks. Don't get like an old painter's one that's covered in all that crap. You can uh, take it as a toilet bucket. Now, granted, you could just toilet in there and then dump it out and wash it out. I wouldn't do that. They make bags for it. So there's bags you can buy for toilet use that usually come with or already have a powder in there that turns everything into a gel. It's all environmentally friendly, whatever. I've tried so many times of these. The best one out there, I think they figured out how good they are and they significantly raised their prices. They're like three or four times the amount of everybody else. I'll tell you this. You buy the best one out there or just use one or two trash bags that have the anti-smell stuff. Anything else is a waste of money. So if you're using a trash bag, when you put it in there, make sure it's not like the way the janitor does, but put the bag in there, blow into it, make sure the bag you know, is completely open in and around the sides of the bucket. 
so there's just space, not bag that needs to be pushed down with a bunch of air trapped. And you want to have it ready to go before you even need to do this, because if it's an emergency, you won't have time. So you do that. The other thing is, they make toilet-type plastic lids that'll fit on a bucket you can sit on. Now, you can try those out, but especially if you're a bigger guy like me or just a bigger person in general, or you're taller, you want to sit on the bucket just normal just to see, especially if you're a guy, where's all my stuff going to go? Those toilet seats may not work out, but you can just go get a pool noodle, one of those pool noodles from Walmart and shape it to there, and it, it takes a lot of it or, you, you know, makes it easier to sit on or you can just hover, whatever you want to do. So if you do that and you're using any type of trash bag, I don't care if it's got anti-smell stuff. I don't care if it's, you know, supposed to be don't rip or whatever. Um, you'll want to tie it off really good and immediately rebag it into a second bag. Take most of the air out, tie it off again. I'm telling you, you want to do that as a minimum. And then if, if available, you want to trash that right away. If not, um, just be careful where you put it. Even if you put it in your trash, make sure your trash doesn't have a lot of sharp objects so you can poke that. Now, the best one out there to buy is called Double Duty. Duty as in, oh, he made a duty. It's like a yellow box. All these other ones are plastic bags, whatever. And then they have gels in there. They all suck. They smell immediately. They, they're sized wrong. They don't fit well in buckets. The gel doesn't work well. You know, the gel's in a plastic bag that's permeable. If it's too old, moisture gets in there. They, they just suck. The double-duty ones are the only ones worth buying. So it's a silver bag, and when you open up this silver heavy-duty Ziploc bag, it's going to look like it's too small. But that's why when you open the bag, you realize there's a secondary bag inside that's much taller that will fit in the five-gallon bucket and come over to the sides. You'll now see when you go to buy them, because they sell them at Sportsman's Warehouse, there's actually a bigger physical size. They call it like the family bag. It's a multiple-use bag. If it's just you or another person, just stick with the single ones. It's going to work out five, six bucks a bag, so I'm going to just throw that out there right now. So this works the same way. The silver bag goes inside. It's not going to spread out much. It's like a large, large envelope, essentially. The black bag comes out. You put that around the rim like a regular bag, and you do your business. The way this is, and you want to make sure the same thing like a trash bag, don't have too much air in there. You're not going to be able to push air out all the way to the ground because the silver bag is going to be there, but you want as much open space to work with as possible. Here's why. Once you do your business, the idea behind this bag, whether you're going to use it again or throw it away, is you get most of the air out and you're going to roll the black bag like a trash bag. It's going to go inside the silver bag. You're going to Ziploc. I've reused these bags. I can only use them twice. Some people could probably use them more times. Here's why they're so good. I've been using these for years. Two different occasions at two different times, like a year or two apart in Arizona. I am in an FJ Cruiser in the summer, right? In Arizona, where inside my car probably gets 140, 50 degrees. And I smell something, and I can't tell what it is. And in both occasions, this went on for three or four days before I just really searched through my truck. And in there, I found one of these double-duty bags with a bunch of shit, literal shit in there. And every t each time, every time, I remembered that the last time I used it when I went camping, it had been like a couple of weeks. That's how good those bags are. The other ones I've tried no scent lock of any type immediately or they're only good for a few hours bees bugs come around it stinks so do the trash bag thing you know dig a hole better do the trash bag thing or just buy the double duty bags now that leads into the best comfort item i think to get that you should try that people people don't think about i mean a lot of people don't bring their own toilet paper but it's baby wipes for one uh 
no matter what kind you buy, you can clean your body with them. It's great in a pinch, depending on the situation, when you can't have a shower, or if you're only doing certain parts of your body or whatever, you know, after using the toilet situation. Especially because you don't, no matter your situation or how dire it was, when you're using one of these bags, you can use the, the baby wipe as well to clean up. It's my opinion, ever trying many times, that most of these ones, like dude wipes or flavor-scented ones, anything geared around the idea of a man are pretty much horse shit. You're just paying a lot of extra money. The women's ones, I don't know. I imagine it's similar. There's ones that are called body wipes or more for everyday cleaning that aren't marketed for toilet use, but they can be. They tend to be bigger. Some tend to be thicker and feel kind of slimy when you're using them for cleaning your body. Those are all about what's in them and how well they're going to clean you. Now, while there's some that smell good or have natural things, what you're looking for is a long-ass medical term that comes down to the phrase BZK. It's also used as an antiseptic instead of alcohol. That stuff actually works good as an antiseptic for cleaning your body. And then you just, if you find one that has them, you just want to learn how to use it. Typically they're folded up. They'll fold out bigger like a baby wipe, but they'll be a thicker material. So all you want to do is leave it at its size. Say it's like a three by five card and use one side of it. Say you do your arm, flip it over, use the other side, do an arm. Then you unfold it back over on itself. So you got two fresh sides and you like your right calf and then your left calf. And if you do it like that, you can get through one usually for your whole body. Cheap and easy ones are sold by Walmart under the Equate brand and where they right here, Everyday Clean. I've, I've used these in situations where there wasn't a water source and I needed to stay somewhat clean. They work quite well for that. I have to use, you know, a handful of them, but it's a pretty big bag. I also use them for a lot of everyday cleaning stuff, but I think that's the most underutilized thing. And when you go to campgrounds, even if they have toilets, even if it's a KOA campground, They'll run out of toilet paper. It may not be the toilet paper you like. You know, it's, it's, there's all kinds of things. So even if you have like, oh, I have baby wipes because I have my baby with you, bring extra. Pretend like the baby ain't going to be with you. What would you really need? Um, you know, and have, have that available. So those, those are the three things I think you should definitely look into. Of the three, what is the most useful or most used? The bucket is really, a, I think, a game changer for most people and they don't realize it, but the best money you can spend will be the really good chair. Now, a few things I'll add on to this that are good for everybody that are, I think, nice little things to have that make your experience a little more enjoyable. One is knowing how to start a fire, but the other thing is the, the fire starter lighter deals that you see people use on, say, a barbecue. You, you find those anywhere, Lowe's, Home Depot, Sportsman's Warehouse, whatever. The typical brand name is Scripto for most of them. They actually have one called a torch lighter. You can buy them sometimes in three packs and one or two of them will be a torch lighter. Sometimes they'll even be longer, like 10 inches. But it's it's a torch. It's like a cigar lighter that's a little torch flame, so it's not like a Bic lighter flame. Those things burn hotter, faster, and a lot better in wind or in a confined space because you know you don't have to have your thumb on it. But having that torch is amazing. So that's uh, something I think you should have. So like on my chair, I have the little side pocket thing with the, the bottle holder. So if you go see that Cabela's chair, you'll see it's a little stiffer, better type pocket thing. I didn't even care about it when I bought it. I didn't even realize it was there. But I actually use that. I leave my torch lighter in there and a, a little thing of burn gel. Because, you know, bad things happen to stupid people. And the bottle holder I've only used like with, I only use it sometimes with, you know, Perrier or something when I'm drinking it. Cause I don't pretty much never drink soda and I rarely, I rarely drink alcohol anymore. But so instead I buy mineral water, like that's my big expense when I go camping, but they'll, they'll hold those size things fairly well. It's pretty stiff, pretty solid. 
Now, I think for fire starters, I'm sorry if I've told you this before. I don't think I have. It's on, it's on my list, though. But simple fire starter to use that I've been using these for years. And I know other people use them. I've seen a couple guys made YouTube videos on them. But I'm going to walk you through this process. And it's uh, fairly simple, really cheap, and is it, a game changer, especially with that torch for lighting a fire. But it works great with ferro or anything. So while you can use cotton balls, it's better to use the cotton rounds, the little two-inch cotton rounds sold next to cotton balls that people put facial toner on or makeup remover. You know, those are real cheap at Walmart. You have 100 of them or 50 of them and a stick for a buck or two. Whatever they are, they're super cheap. So that's item number one. Item number two is lighter fluid. Don't get a brand name. At Walmart, they'll have the cheap big quart bottle thing. It's like three or four bucks. Whereas Kingsford, like nine bucks, just buy the cheap one. They're all the same. You need that. The other thing you need is wax. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter what kind of wax you get. It doesn't need to be soy wax or candle wax. It could be paraffin wax. It could be old candles, but wax is what you need. So the measurements for this are a roughly a quarter pound of wax. Now here's the thing. Yeah, eyeball this, number one. Number two, the only reason I say a quarter pound is when I've done this, the process I'm walking you through, about a quarter pound by the time I'm done, which will get you through about 25 or so rounds, depending on how much it soaks up, around 20, 25 of them, the wax will start to solidify. Even if there's a, a pound in there, it'll, it'll start to solidify and get that kind of glossed, glossed over cover color, uh, like covering where the wax is drying on top, you know what I'm saying? Whatever. So here's, here's what you need. A uh, nonstick pan, I think, is the best way to go. Definitely don't use cast iron. I went to... Goodwill or Salvation Army and found actually I found a really solid stout one. It was pretty good shape there for like three bucks that I carry with me. So I, th I threw my quarter pound of wax in there and I don't put it on high heat. I put it on like medium or medium low. Watch the wax slowly melt. And the second the, the last bit of wax melted, I, I remove it from heat. I go put it on my heating pad, of course. We're camping and just put it wherever. And then by eyeball, I double the volume of the liquid lighter fluid so it looks like depending on your size your pot will say it looks like there's about two inches in there you know you just start squirting lighter fluid in until it looks like there's about four inches and you don't have to stir it up or anything it, it naturally mixes and stays mixed it, you won't see it separate right so now we have a lighter fluid hot wax mixture now you set down already got set out a piece of wax paper you could use tin foil you could use parchment you can use your counter if you want but you're gonna have to clean wax off here's all you do take pick that thing up just to hold a little tiny bit of it. I mean, you can use a tool if you want, but, you know, be a man. Use your fingers. Dip it in there. It'll immediately soak everything up. If you pull it out, you'll see it starts just pissing off liquid because it soaks so much of it up. And they'll start rapidly kind of dripping, drip, 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 drip like that. Um, what I kind of, when the dripping starts slightly slowing down, I give it a slight little shake. Like, don't squeeze it. Don't shake a lot off. Now, you, these, you could actually kind of squeeze quite a bit of that out if you wanted to and probably almost double the amount of cotton rounds or increase probably by a third. And they'll still work. But the way I do it, this thing burns for like, I've timed them several times. This thing will burn and not stop burning for like eight minutes, even in rain. Like it's, this is why it's so great. So drip, drip, drip. Then it's going drip, drip, drip. I kind of give it a little wiggle. I lay it down on the wax paper and I move on. By the time I'm down to about 25, I'll find out the first ones are damn near solid and the last ones feel, you know, kind of warmish. It only takes a few minutes for them to feel cool. Now, one of the nice, now you can just throw these in a Ziploc bag, don't not a sandwich bag, throw them in the freezer bag. But one of the things I do is sometimes, because I drink a lot of coffee and tea, 
I have a lot of those T-tins. So those round tins are like inches long. They're actually about two inches wide where you open the top and it's got same as cotton rounds, the same size tea bag. If you have those or can find them, these rounds fit right in that thing because their metal is perfect storage for them. So now when you light these things, they'll go for eight minutes. Now, especially if you're going to use a ferro rod or you just want to make your life easier, tear it. You don't have to tear it in half. Just get enough tear to expose fibers, especially when you're using ferro. It'll start quicker. So if you have that with that torch lighter, that fucker is going to go immediately. And you can sit there. You could light it and throw it on a walk, rock, run a timer, and watch it. See how many, it takes several minutes for it to really start to turn any amount of black and to turn all black, and it'll burn for about seven to eight minutes. You know, it'll burn probably a little less. You can experiment with it and go, well, I'll squeeze some out of here and see how long, and maybe they burn for four or five minutes, and you realize, well, that's good enough, and that, that is good enough. I just do it the other way because I give them to people and give them the recipes and show them what they'll do. But that's the thing, like if you're burning that hot and that strong for seven or eight minutes in bad weather with, and especially if you have, say you have a lot of damp wood that you need more heat to dry out, that's part of the reason why I do it this way. So it, so that's the thing. What's great about this, if you have that torch lighter and you have this thing to light with, these, whatever you want to call them, cotton lighting rounds, whatever, it really doesn't matter how shitty you are to fire. If you've got the wood, you can move things around long enough, you're probably going to get that thing going. And then you're going to look like a badass. Probably not, but maybe. But these, those are things right there, I think, are a real big help. Because as sad as it makes me, and why I've helped people who try to start fire, can't gather wood, one of the things that actually kind of like, oh, that kind of sucks, is I realize... The campfire isn't just the central theme to camping. It's what everybody wants and enjoys no matter who they are. Kids are always asking for it. Everybody wants to cook on them, but they don't know how, or, or you know, they want to have a fire. They can't get it. bums them out, especially like if the rain's coming out and they don't know how to get it started or keep it going. I've seen people have a lot of fun and talk to them on Memorial Day. They're having great weekends, but they left as though their entire weekend sucked, and it was all because the fire didn't happen. And I've seen people that got wet, gear got damaged or destroyed, they got dirty, all their stuff didn't dry out, all these bad things happened, the places they wanted to see weren't open, but they had a great fucking time, and they all had fires. They cooked on the fires, and all their positive stories were around that fire. So I'm telling you, especially when you're new to this and you're going to go camping, you need to master fire. So how do you master fire? A lot of practice, a lot of videos, maybe take some classes, but you want to start out easy. You make these cotton round fire starters and you get that torch fire. Then you go from there. Once you work fire out and figure out where fatwood is and where things are, then, then you can start increasing your difficulty. Then you can start using ferro rods and these other things. But don't go to the hard stuff. Make sure you're going to have that enjoyable experience. Make sure you can get the real simple stuff down to have a good time and then add in the more cool things you want to learn later. Don't jump straight to a challenge and then fuck up your whole weekend because you can't have a fire. Because that'll just make, make your whole day bad. And you don't want that.